Hello, welcome to the Friday, December 4th, 2020 edition of the Sands and its Storm Center's Stormcast. My name is Johannes Ulrich, and today, well, I'm in Jacksonville, Florida, but actually teaching at Sands Frankfurt. And with that, uh, let's take a look at what we have in diaries. Uh, today, we have another traffic analysis quiz uh, by Pratt. So if you are into analyzing PCAPs, and well, uh, this week I'm actually teaching uh, the intrusion detection class, so fits really well. Uh, you can take a look at what Brad has put together here for you as a challenge. And you don't just uh, get the PCAPs, you also get links uh, to tutorials he has put together in order to teach you about Wireshark and help you analyze this particular packet capture. An item I probably should have covered yesterday is an article by Google Project Zero's researcher Ian Beer. He discovered back in, well, actually sort of a year ago, November 2019, a vulnerability in iOS that Apple later fixed with iOS 13.3.1 and macOS 10.15.3 at the end of January of uh, this year. What makes uh, this vulnerability so notable is that it may be exploited uh, wirelessly. It does not require any user interaction and essentially leads uh, to a full system compromise. The bug was a part of Apple's wireless direct link protocol or AWDL. This is the protocol that iOS and macOS devices use, for example, for AirDrop. While fundamentally it's basically 8.11, it is sort of Apple's own take on it to set up these ad hoc peer-to-peer networks. And NetHacker in this case would have to be able to essentially hit a particular vulnerable device with a specially crafted AWL packet. Now, what's really uh, neat about this entire story is, first of all, that Ian uh, wrote this amazingly detailed blog post about it, but also that he went way beyond actually just finding the flaw. We do have a lot of sort of wireless vulnerabilities like this, where researchers essentially find the flaw, they are able to cause some software, maybe a system crash, but it's where they stop. And uh, kind of the, if you're reading that blog post, uh, you kind of understand why, because there's an awful lot of work involved in taking it to the next step and actually uh, writing a usable exploit for this. And that's exactly what Ian uh, did. Now, it took him, I believe, a full six months uh, to get to this point. But uh, lots of details in this blog post about uh, this protocol and about how he went about finding uh, this flaw and then how it was exploited. Now, first of all, of course, make sure your version of iOS and macOS is up to date. But uh, then again, the patch for this was released uh, back in January. There are a couple additional flaws that uh, Ian found that uh, were patched in July, I believe. But still, keep your systems up to date is probably your best defense at this point. And um, well, uh, wireless interfaces, yes, people always tell you, you should turn them off in environments that you don't trust and such. But then again, you know, when do you ever trust uh, your environment? And of course, these wireless interfaces are integral to the functioning of these devices. 
Now, well, this was a nice story sort of about some uh, proprietary software. And of course, a lot of the work that Ian had to do was a reverse analysis of uh, this proprietary software. One would think that, uh, well, uh, maybe things look better for open source software. Interesting report from GitHub about this. GitHub did publish its annual State of the Octoverse report. And one large chapter of this report is dealing with security. And of course, one focus of GitHub in recent years has been to provide more tools and really more attention to security. Interestingly, it takes about four years for a vulnerability to be disclosed. And once disclosed, and that's, I think, kind of a good number, it takes just over four weeks to actually release an update and patch the vulnerability. Most of the vulnerabilities identified are honest mistakes, according to GitHub. Now that is based on a sample that they pulled from the alerts. However, I think that number is still a little bit big. 17% of the advisories were related to specific malicious activity. So this is essentially code that a developer specifically added like backdoors and such a good side of this. Uh, these packages were only used in about 0.2% uh, of uh, these triggered alerts. So in short, yes, there are quite a few sort of backdoors and such uh, in open source code, but typically not in very popular used open source projects. And overall, GitHub here feels that its efforts uh, to help developers create more secure codes and find vulnerabilities uh, is working and that developers overall appear to be responsive. Well, it's Friday again. So today I have yet another SANS.edu student uh, with me. Christopher, could you introduce yourself, please? Hi, yeah. Uh, my name is Christopher Hurlis. I'm a systems engineer at Northwestern University on the Cutter campus. So your paper was about the critical controls and, well, uh, actually a little bit more practical. The critical controls are always a great idea, but how to actually implement it with tools like OS Query and such. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I really wanted to see if I could use uh, OS Query to um, dig into the, the CIS benchmarks uh, on on a system and report uh, the, the CIS benchmark status at scale um, because, you know, just setting, uh, setting the, uh, the benchmark uh, isn't enough. You really need to audit it. So um, I wanted to, to find a way that, that I could continuously monitor uh, the status of my endpoints and make sure that they were compliant with, uh, with my CIS benchmark requirements. Yeah, so these CS benchmarks, uh, I always like them because they're somewhat prescriptive kind of in what to do and um, always you know, lots of support. They're also available, uh, but a lot of companies struggle with actually implementing them. And you know, like you mentioned, sort of monitoring uh, compliance with these benchmarks. So how does uh, OS Query help with that? Um, well, you know, I can... I can actually agree with that statement a lot because uh, I think one of the, the issues I found with uh, the critical controls was that uh, the the means of auditing the different controls is uh, sort of across the, the landscape of the operating system and you'll have 
you know, one program um, that you might use to monitor password policies and then a different program to monitor firewall policies. Um, but there's no real centralized way to, to do that. And even OS Query failed um, to do that out of the box in a lot of cases. Uh, so what I ended up doing was actually doing just a little bit of Python programming and, uh, you know, using Python to do some, um, some operating system calls to get the data that I wanted uh, into a plist file. And then I just had uh, OS Query read the plist file. Uh, which would then report back into um, my Elastic Stack and and give me the data that I was looking for. Um, and by the way, all of the, the the shim, the OS query to CIS shim that I wrote is uh, is on my GitHub page. Um, okay, so people can actually go there and basically save themselves the work to you know, recreate uh, some of that. I mean, I got to put a disclaimer on there. I mean, your mileage may vary, but uh, definitely the, the the proof of concept is there. And uh, and I think, you know, you'll pretty quickly see uh, my means and methodologies uh, and be able to sort of port that into your own uh, requirements for uh, for whatever controls you personally happen to be monitoring for your organization. Now, always query when most people get started with it. You know, the appealing part, of course, you have this SQL-like uh, kind of uh, query language uh, to query parameters across your network from systems, but it's usually more used interactively. Uh, how do you sort of get that continuous part going where you continuously check if your systems are in compliance uh, with uh, certain standards? Uh, well, for me, what I did in this case is, uh, you know, I, I feed the logs through to a seam. In this case, it's Elastic Stack. Um, I've also used Splunk for this, um, which is very effective. Uh, for each of the benchmarks, I'll create maybe a dashboard um, so that I can quickly look at uh, the benchmarks that I'm monitoring. And then if, uh, if the benchmark falls out of, uh, you know, what I, what I, intended it to be or changes, uh, then I will create, in this case, I created a last alerts that forwarded uh, that log onto the hive. Uh, and then um, from the hive, I would actually go so far as to create step-by-step -step instructions for investigation and remediation. Um, and this part I really liked um, because having that step-by-step -step, uh, process, uh, I think it allows, to, allows us to bring any any IT staff member into the fold of security. Uh, and I've always felt that security is a, a, an everyone problem, not a you know security department problem. Uh, so I, I like the idea of giving um, everyone exposure to the, the means and processes by which investigations happen uh, because it is some pretty, uh, pretty advanced stuff and uh, it, it really helps with the learning part of security. Um, by just following through the process. Now, the use of the hive here is interesting, I think. You know, I've used it uh, for malware analysis and such to automate some of this, but uh, you're kind of using it as an orchestration platform to automatically respond uh, to systems that are essentially out of spec but not necessarily compromised? Uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, because uh, you can do both at the same time, right? Um, when you see that it's out of spec, that could be an indicator of compromise. Uh, and, and there's going to be several tasks that you're going to want to complete to make sure that um, it is or is whether or not it is or to understand whether it is or is not 
uh, an indicator of compromise. Um, and you don't need um, necessarily, you know, your, your top tier security analysts to do that. That, that could be a very quick, uh, you know, three-step process from, um, from a support staff who just sees, you know, that all of a sudden uh, the firewall on a machine is off. And that could be because, you know, a faculty member turned it off. Uh, because they didn't understand what they were doing, or it could be because uh, a piece of malware turned it off, so it could do something else. Um, so, and, and I think you can build that all into um, the hive, um, the way it's built, um, especially as you start to assign tasks to different people um, and maybe different uh, levels within your organization. So how do you respond then if you see the firewall is turned off? Do you turn it on automatically or uh, do you just notify users that, hey, that, that system is out of compliance and uh, then respond manually? Well, I mean, the cool thing is you could um, you could do, decide how to do this however you want. But um, what I might do first um, is look across the hive and see if any other events happen, such as an application uh, or a new application got installed on that machine. Uh, and you can do that from if there was an alert on it, or uh, you could go back to OS Query. Uh, in this case, you would use um, the Collide Fleet service to uh, query machines directly to find out uh, more about what happened. So maybe um, in the Hive, you say, okay, if the firewall gets turned off, go to Collide and run this SQL statement to see if any new applications are installed. Um, you could also look within the hive and see if any other tickets were launched or any other last alerts were made. Um, and you could even divide those tasks amongst multiple people who all, you know, in investigate independently um, on the same, uh, on the same alert. Um, yeah. So basically but, with the alert, the analyst can get some context in what happened to the system to make it, easier, faster to come up with the conclusion whether or not it's malicious or uh, innocent uh, behavior from some user that just installed some new software and it didn't work, so it turned off the firewall. Exactly. And, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, your final step will be how to bring that machine back to um, the desired state, which is also part of the um, CIS controls, right? Because uh, a CIS control will show you both audit and remediation. Um, so everything that you put between audit and remediation is up to you. Excellent. Uh, so OSQR, of course, a tool that is known to scale very well, you know, being created by Facebook, I believe. Uh, your overall system, uh, have you deployed it in a network or have you already just done it sort of as a research project so far? Uh, I am using it. Uh, right now we use it in our lab machines uh, here in Northwestern. Uh, I do not use it with uh, Elasticsearch or the Hive just yet, um, and I use it with uh, Splunk, uh, and it's very effective. Um, you know, I build uh, I build the queries one by one, and then I build the uh, the dashboards to go along with them, and then we decide uh, what we want to alert on. Um, and uh, it, it, I find it remarkably effective and easy to uh, to work with. Um, and I, I very much hope to expand it even further as uh, you know we, the the success within our lab environments is proven. Excellent. Uh, so you're almost done with the Sansa DDO program now, or uh, anything left for you? Uh, well, I'm coming up on the uh, the Python course here. Um, okay. 
I'll be doing a live online. This will be my first live online. Um, so I'm pretty excited for that. Uh, and then I also have the uh, core competency test, uh, which, you know, it's funny. You guys gave me uh, two scenarios as a practice exam. And when they were over, I was very disappointed because I wanted to play more. Um, <laughs> So, so an exam that's actually fun to take. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was fun problems to solve. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward okay, to that. Excellent. Uh, well, uh, thanks for joining me here today, and the uh, the link to the paper with all the details, and the paper also has a link to the GitHub repository, will be in the show notes. Uh, thanks for joining me here, uh, Christopher, and thanks everybody else for listening. Talk to you again on Monday.